Tonight, the face of Israel's fragile new government. Politicians from the left, right and center, led by the new prime minister, right-wing nationalist Naftali Bennett, pledging to repair ties with America's Democratic Party. Promising a very different kind of politics, one of unity, one of agreement. He now leads the most diverse coalition in Israel's history. Shortly after the swearing-in, Naftali Bennett received a congratulatory statement from President Joe Biden. That statement reads, My administration is fully committed to working with the new Israeli government to advance security, stability, and peace for Israelis, Palestinians, and people throughout the broader region. First time in 12 years, Israel has a new prime minister. The new coalition government is led by Naftali Bennett, who claims this will be a government of change. Meanwhile, former Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu promises that he and his party will be back. Is Israel entering a new era? How will this new coalition government fare in the country and the region? This is State of the World, produced by the World Affairs Council of Connecticut. I'm your host, Amanda Jolly, and on this episode, we're talking with Ambassador Marone Rubin, Consul General of Israel to New England, about Israel's new government and the country's post-Netanyahu future. Moderated by Council CEO, Megan Tory. This episode is hosted in partnership with the Jewish Federation of Greater Hartford and the Consulate General of Israel to New England. We're here today to talk about the new government, which has been described as one of the most diverse in history. Can you talk to us a little bit about this coalition? What is what are the components? What is the makeup of this new government? Uh, well, I, I think you are correct uh, in in saying that it is a very very diverse uh, uh, coalition. It's a coalition made up of eight distinct parties. Uh, from uh, what is classified or called in Israel the far right uh, or the right wing parties through center parties through um, uh, through uh, uh, left wing parties uh, and uh, the uh, deputy minister of Arab affairs in the prime minister's office uh, is a member of the Ram party uh, which is the uh, southern wing of the Islamic party of Israel so uh, so yes, uh, in that sense, uh, it is a, a very um, interesting group uh, of, uh, of both parties and ideologies that have come together uh, to rule um, with what I would only describe as a razor thin uh, majority. Um, uh, and we'll see how they, they do. Uh, of course, when the government was uh, signed in uh, or was uh, voted in, uh, it was voted in uh, on the slimmest major margins possible of one vote, as you know, uh, 60 in favor and 59 against, but one abstention. Uh, so uh, I don't think you can get much uh, smaller a margin. Uh, and uh, it uh, might be quite difficult to run this kind of coalition, though, uh, as uh, both uh, Naftali Bennett, uh, the new prime minister, and Yair Lapid uh, the alternate prime minister and new foreign minister have said uh, it will be based on uh, uh, collaboration, cooperation, and uh, and mutual understanding. Uh, and uh, I think that on the as far as uh, I understand, uh, they are most probably going to deal uh, with the nitty gritty of uh, of uh, running a country 
uh, first and then maybe putting uh, a bit of ideology on the back burner uh, so that uh, things can, uh, can move forward. Uh, though, of course, that doesn't always, uh, uh, is not always possible. Uh, now, uh, you know, this, this uh, mix uh, and of course also uh, the amount of uh, women in, in the government is also uh, relatively uh, high for Israel, not, not in comparison to some of the European countries, uh, but some uh, one third of the ministers are, uh, are women. Uh, we even have uh, a, a um, you know, the members of uh, Knesset as well. Uh, you have uh, Karin uh, el Kharar, uh, and she uh, actually has uh, um, uh, a muscle disp uh, dystrophy and uh, sits in a wheelchair, uh, as well as uh, other, other members who are uh, definitely interesting. And we have the first uh, Israel's, Israel's first uh, um, uh, deaf uh, member of, uh, of parliament, and she's the fifth uh, deaf member of parliament uh, in the world, actually. And she's a member of Naftali Bennett's uh, 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 Bennett's uh, uh, party, um, and uh, it was uh, very, very emotional, I think, to see her take the oath of office uh, using sign language. Uh, you know, this is something that is definitely, uh, it, it is what I would say an inclusive government. Um, uh, and uh, I think that this is uh, something that's very, very new uh, for Israelis, and we're all trying to uh, begin to understand what's going on. So not only in, in makeup, but in, in groundbreaking individuals. So that's an exciting new development in Israel. Many have pointed out, though, that with this diverse government elected on such a slim margin, that it may have you know, elements of fragility in it. Do you see that there could be potentials for fragility within that government? And what can be done to sort of protect this new coalition? Well, I definitely think it's a, it's a fragile government, but it's not the first government uh, that has been voted in on such a, a, a small uh, margin. And, uh, and uh, there were even governments who were minority governments and didn't even have uh, the 60-plus uh, uh, members uh, of Knesset, but had, were, were dependent on parties uh, that were outside of the coalition, whereas this time, uh, all the coalition, all the parties are within the coalition. Uh, so yes, as you mentioned, uh, Megan, we do have a very fragile government, but maybe uh, its strength is in its fragility uh, because everybody realizes that if uh, something goes wrong, uh, then the government may collapse. And so uh, because they're not at this moment interested in the, the collapse of the government, I think you will see a lot of jostling uh, to keep the government on track and, uh, and going ahead uh, without uh, rocking the boat too much. Uh, though, as you mentioned, yes, there are definitely uh, difficult, uh, uh, difficult uh, questions that will be raised. And sometimes uh, one doesn't always choose the questions that are raised because sometimes external, uh, um, external uh, factors uh, come in and will change your, uh, your, the course of your government as well. Uh, which is, is also very interesting. But uh, I think also in this government, we're seeing a sort of a generational change. Uh, and uh, this is uh, something that is very uh, interesting and very, very uh, difficult uh, when it comes to um, uh, how, to run, how to run a government. First and foremost, uh, um, uh, the outgoing prime minister, Mr. Netanyahu, was 71. 
uh, years old. Naftali Bennett uh, is uh, 49. Uh, there is uh, that generational change as well. Uh, and uh, actually, uh, um, Bennett himself uh, used to work uh, for Netanyahu. Uh, so, uh, so yes, uh, it is uh, quite interesting to see uh, how we're seeing this generational change. Uh, though, uh, uh, knowing uh, our uh, previous prime minister, I don't think anybody will count him out of the race in the future. <laughs> so actually talk to us about the new prime minister, Naftali Bennett. We know that he is in a power sharing agreement, I think will serve for a two year term. Can you contrast him with your former prime minister, Netanyahu? Because of course, after 12 years or over 12 years, having a leader at the top is a big change. Well, of course it is. You know, if you, any leadership, uh, uh, that you are in for, for 12 years uh, straight uh, allows you uh, the ability that, that most uh, freshmen don't have. Uh, I think that if anybody sits in any post for 12 years, uh, you will actually uh, deal with it and be very good in it. So, uh, uh, so yes, uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, is definitely a political uh, um, expert. Uh, and uh, he has been involved in, in politics for uh, uh, some, what, nearly 40 years, um, uh, serving uh, from, uh, from the United Nations, the embassy in, uh, you know, uh, in Washington, etc., cetera, uh, and, uh, and being deputy foreign minister, then foreign minister, etc., and prime minister uh, the last 12 years, and uh, prior to that as well, between uh, 96 and 99. So, uh, uh, but uh, Naftali Bennett and, and him, in a certain way, do sort of come uh, from uh, the, uh, the right of the political map. Uh, I think both had, uh, you know, Naftali Bennett actually is slightly different in the fact that his parents are immigrants from the United States. Um, and he, he himself was born in Haifa. Uh, both of them uh, served in special forces units. Uh, uh, both Naftali uh, Bennett and uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu. Uh, so it is uh, a very uh, elite sort of units that, uh, that they come from, uh, uh, commanding, uh, you know, uh, combat operations and uh, etc. Uh, whereas uh, uh, our previous Prime Minister then uh, uh, went into business. I think Naftali Bennett, of course, also went into business. Uh, he went more into the... Uh, uh, into the high-tech business, uh, uh, creating a sort of uh, a, a, a co-owned uh, U.S. company that was uh, then sold uh, for a very nice uh, sum of money, some $150 million. Uh, that's where he has uh, his pocket money from. Uh, so, uh, so yes, uh, once that was sold, uh, uh, I think it was in 2005, uh, he then sort of focused, began focusing himself uh, more on uh, on the political sphere, uh, joining Netanyahu and then uh, starting his own party in 2008. Uh, so it's not as if he, he's, he's very, very new on the political scene because uh, he uh, also served as the Minister of Diaspora Affairs uh, or Jewish Affairs. Uh, um, uh, he, he served as the Minister of Education. He served as the Minister of Defense. Uh, so it's not that he's coming uh, totally new into into the into the field of politics. So so yes, we we uh, definitely see that he does come with a, with a background and an understanding, uh, and um, 
the, the fact that he is focused, and uh, I think that uh, it'll be very interesting to see. He is Israel's, uh, if, if you're classifying it according to the, uh, the parties, he's Israel's most right wing of, uh, of prime ministers and the first uh, prime minister to actually wear a kippah or a yarmulke uh, uh, on, on his head. Uh, so, so yes, it's actually a very interesting, uh, uh, a very interesting uh, leadership. And of course, his his uh, collaboration with Yair Lapid, who is actually the largest party in his coalition, because uh, Bennett only has a party of seven seats, whereas uh, Yair Lapid has a party of seventeen seats. Uh, is uh, is something that is very very interesting. You've seen a lot of politicians here uh, take a sidestep, shall I say, in, uh, uh, in uh, their, uh, uh, their uh, necessity to, uh, to either lead the coalition. I mean, uh, uh, one would have expected that maybe Yair Lapid would have been uh, the first choice for prime minister, but I think he realized that he wouldn't be able to form a government without uh, including uh, Naftali Bennett, and so by including him uh, and offering him the post of prime minister, or uh, and uh, at least for the first two two and a half years uh, of uh, the coalition, uh, he allowed or he uh, brought about the change of government uh, for the first time in twelve years. Yes. So let's zoom out a little bit to the region more broadly. So he's not the only new leader in the region. So he's been in at two, two weeks, Neftali Bennett. But over the weekend, we saw Ibrahim Raisi become the, the leader, the president in Iran. Is there any indication that how these two leaders might, might engage, not engage, what the Israeli-Iranian relationship might look like going forward? And this is a relationship that maybe contentious is a, is a polite word. Well, the last time uh, Iranian and uh, Israeli leaderships engaged was in 1979, uh, when we did have actually an embassy in Tehran. Uh, but uh, the uh, uh, the advent of the Islamic uh, Republic of uh, uh, of Iran uh, brought about uh, the uh, collapse of the uh, relationship between uh, the two countries. Uh, and brought about uh, the animosity, uh, I would say, over the decades between the two countries. Um, I don't think we're very ecstatic. I don't think anybody's uh, ecstatic about Ibrahim Raisi being uh, um, uh, becoming uh, Iran's new uh, president. Uh, he will uh, take office uh, in August, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, he's, uh, I think, the most, the hardest hardliner. Uh, of the group who were running, uh, you know, uh, you can't really, there aren't really free and fair elections in Iran. Uh, and I think it went to, sh uh, it, it goes to show that, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the clergy in Iran uh, uh, decides who will run uh, for president. Uh, and uh, it, it's not a, a free and open uh, election. So uh, we have a hardliner who was also head of the uh, the uh, the High Court, and uh, if you uh, ask any uh, human rights uh, group, they will also tell you uh, that he has been involved in the deaths of thousands of Iranians uh, over the decades. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, he will now uh, most probably be uh, the Iranian uh, president as of August. Uh, I can't see any uh, direct connections between them. Uh, not between uh, Bennett and, uh, and Raisi, 
but uh, we uh, live in a, a rather uh, problematic region. Uh, we don't always choose our neighbors and some of our neighbors are not particularly friendly. Uh, and so, uh, so yes, we do uh, have a very uh, basic problem that uh, I don't think uh, the Iranian problem is going to go away. And Iran, uh, as you know, uh, is very interested in seeing uh, Israel wiped off the map. Uh, and uh, we will most probably have to continue to deal with it. Uh, uh, and uh, especially when it comes to the Iranian um, nuclear program, which uh, we have been wary of uh, for many years. Can you talk about the new coalition and maybe their view on the Abraham Accords? And, you know, does that, are they going to hold? Does it have a future? What does that mean for relations in the region? Uh, well, uh, we, uh, both the previous government and uh, the new government uh, sees the Abraham Accords as a, an important cornerstone of, uh, uh, of, the, uh, of any future Israeli uh, collaboration with the, uh, with the Middle East and Africa. Um, uh, as you know, uh, four agreements were signed last year uh, between the United Arab Emirates, Bahrain, uh, Morocco, and Sudan. Uh, uh, thanks to uh, the help of the United uh, States. Uh, I think the uh, new uh, administration in Washington as of January has also focused in on, on those accords uh, and sees them as very favorable and uh, uh, I think definitely a game changer in the Middle East. Uh, and I think that uh, both uh, the Biden administration and uh, the Bennett government uh, would very much like to see a strengthening of uh, these uh, uh, these accords and uh, maybe even uh, uh, finding ways to uh, to sign more accords with more uh, uh, um, governments uh, either in the Middle East uh, and or in North Africa, uh, especially uh, if they are a Muslim majority governments. Yes, I definitely think that this is a cornerstone and won't uh, disappear. It is very very important and very very fundamental. Uh, our new minister of uh, uh, international cooperation, uh, who uh, actually uh, comes from the left-wing Merits Party, uh, uh, is Isawi Frej, uh, is uh, also uh, for, um, a, a Druze member of parliament and, and definitely uh, would be very important uh, to continue uh, in that vein of uh, collaboration and cooperation uh, throughout the Middle East. So here in the U.S., especially sort of over the last several months, as, as there had been a hot conflict or there is a hot conflict going on um, in Israel, many have pointed to a, a, a change in United States public opinion towards U.S. foreign policy, um, the U.S. foreign policy position towards Israel. Um, how do you see this impacting the longer term bilateral relationship between the United States and Israel? Well, in, in general, uh, there has been a, a slight shift. I wouldn't say in uh, uh, there's been a, a, a shift in uh, the, uh, the policy coming out of Washington. I would say more there's been a shift uh, in the policies uh, coming out uh, of some of the uh, members of the Democratic Party, uh, which is having uh, its effect uh, as well. Uh, and uh, I, I must admit that I uh, am relatively new uh, to the region and relatively new to American politics, but I find it rather uh, perturbing uh, that uh, uh, some uh, politicians will actually uh, uh, accept or, 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 or uh, see uh, uh, 
some of the viewpoints of a terrorist organization uh, and accept that propaganda um, hook, line, and sinker, as they say, uh, without really checking the facts uh, and what goes on in the in, on the ground. Uh, I definitely think that uh, this is is something that uh, has to be uh, discussed and and uh, and dealt with. Um, I, I definitely think that uh, uh, we have a lot of uh, explaining to do, and uh, and this has to uh, this has to uh, come first and foremost, of course. Uh, between ourselves and our friends. I, I have never seen Israel uh, as a partisan problem. I uh, definitely think that uh, uh, the Israeli-United States relationship is definitely a bipartisan uh, relationship. Uh, Israel has uh, been a steadfast ally, uh, ally of the United States, and we see the United States as our most steadfast ally uh, uh, in the world. Uh, and I think that this is something that hasn't changed between uh, the administrations. Uh, but uh, as uh, some people in the uh, new administration have said, uh, a lot of things go on uh, behind the uh, behind closed doors uh, instead of having the relationship uh, spoken uh, out uh, or spoken about in the open. And I think that this is uh, something that is very important that this uh, uh, continues. Uh, and uh, we have seen already uh, quite a few members of uh, uh, Israel's uh, previous government and even the new government uh, uh, in contact with members of, uh, uh, of the administration in Washington and uh, definitely uh, seen uh, a lot of uh, collaboration and cooperation uh, that continues uh, and we hope will continue uh, uh, not only for the foreseeable future but for the long term. We know that here in Connecticut, we have foreign direct investment from Israel, most notably a hydroponics company. So given the hot conflict in Israel, have you seen any impact on FDI in the short term? And do you, are you anticipating any, any issues with FDI in the, in, the, in the longer term? I haven't seen the exact uh, numbers on that, but there has been a slight drop as there have been uh, in most countries around the world when it comes to foreign investment, uh, because uh, 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 you know, uh, countries and, uh, and governments have been focusing in on themselves and on dealing with, uh, of course, uh, um, uh, how to deal with coronavirus. Uh, and it's, uh, it is uh, taking its toll on, uh, on investments. But I think that uh, uh, we will be able to bounce back uh, as much as possible. We'd very much like to see uh, um, uh, a flourishing of a, uh, of a relationship, especially with Connecticut. Uh, we definitely hope that uh, government, uh, Governor Lamont's visit uh, uh, that was uh, planned for 2019 will, will be back on the agenda in the not too, uh, uh, in the not too distant future, uh, as well as, uh, of course, maybe setting up uh, a, uh, um, a commercial uh, office uh, that will deal with uh, uh, Connecticut and Israeli relations. Uh, this is something that uh, is definitely high uh, on my agenda as uh, Consul General to New England. Uh, but uh, at the moment, uh, the Israeli economy is still, uh, even with uh, the, uh, the high cost of dealing with uh, uh, coronavirus, uh, seems to be uh, one of those economies that is uh, fast coming out of uh, the doldrums. Uh, and let's hold, hope that uh, this will continue uh, for the benefit both of uh, the citizens of Israel uh, and uh, the citizens of the United States. Can you tell us about Israel's settlement at Water 
well sites, specifically in the West Bank? And how do you think the new coalition government um, views water sources as a concern? I thought you were going to focus in on the fact that Israel is, an, uh, is a world leader in, in, uh, in water resources. Um, uh, yes, well, there's a, there's a whole long history of, uh, of how things have been uh, uh, developed and, and how water, unfortunately, has become uh, a politicized uh, uh, a point, uh, especially in our relationships between ourselves and the Palestinian Authority. Uh, I, uh, in, in my uh, uh, relatively long history in the foreign ministry, uh, remember quite a few incidences where uh, unfortunately, uh, water uh, was uh, used as a, uh, as a political ploy. Uh, I myself remember the fact that we offered uh, the Palestinians uh, a, a cubic meters of water uh, uh, for every cubic meter uh, of sewage that we received from them. And this, this was also uh, uh, poo-pooed, uh, what shall I say, by the Palestinian side. And they said, uh, we're not giving you uh, uh, that uh, that ability to uh, to help us uh, take away our uh, um, to take away our uh, sewage water and give us uh, clean water. Uh, so yes, there is a lot of uh, problems, but a lot of those things are are tackled behind the scenes uh, because uh, it is uh, in the end uh, something that has to do with uh, the uh, importance of uh, of life and the quality of water. Uh, used by everybody, uh, and so yeah, we do sit on uh, um, on joint uh, water aquifers, uh, and uh, these are things that uh, that have to be dealt with, and uh, I think are dealt with uh, between the two sides. Well, let's stick on the issue of water for just one second. And my question would be about the longer term impacts of climate change on the geography of, of Israel as we all experience sea level rise. And we know that geographically speaking, it is a smaller strip of land. How is Israel looking at the future, the impact of climate change? Well, we're very, very focused on climate change. Uh, but uh, when it comes to water, we also have five of the world's largest desalination plants uh, along our coast. Uh, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, some 50% of our drinking water comes from desalination, uh, which means that maybe those who have said in the past that the future wars will be fought about water uh, are not actually correct, because in the end it is the technology uh, that you need, uh, because we still have quite a lot of, uh, of water in our seas. Uh, so, uh, so yes, Israel is definitely focused in on... Uh, uh, on uh, climate change. We understand uh, the necessity to deal with it. Uh, we are definitely uh, looking at, at different ways uh, to focus in uh, and to bring about uh, a better uh, life for all those who live in the, in the region uh, and improve uh, the quality of, uh, uh, of uh, the, uh, the environment uh, in which we live. Uh, Israel is also going over to, to natural gas as opposed to coal. Uh, and uh, we are also looking at uh, different sustainable uh, energies, uh, whether they be uh, wind power uh, or other. Uh, we don't have too many high waves like you have in the United States, uh, but, uh, but definitely looking into other ways. And of course, uh, um, uh, drip irrigation, which has always been uh, a mainstay in Israel for uh, some 50 years already, uh, as well as, uh, uh, of course, focusing in on... Uh, uh, on other uh, high high technologies and uh, doing away with uh, 
uh, with uh, gas at the pump and, and focusing in on uh, uh, on maybe electric cars. Uh, and we, like other countries uh, uh, in uh, uh, North America and in Europe, are definitely focusing in uh, on changing uh, the way we use our uh, um, our electric focus and the way we uh, focus in on on other on other energy uh, uh, energy resources, yes. Will Israel open to individual tourists on July 1st? I do not think that we will open to individual tourists on July the 1st, though there has been a rumor. Uh, um, we are slightly worried. There have been two cases in schools whereby uh, the Indian variant seems to have spread among school children who have not been vaccinated. We are now looking into vaccinating school children from 12 and up. Uh, but of course, uh, as you know, we're also going into summer holidays, so it makes it more difficult to vaccinate everybody. Um, uh, we uh, would very much like to see it. At the moment, it's only uh, uh, family members can, uh, can come into Israel if they have foreign passports. Uh, we must try and remind everybody that we're still in a, in a pandemic uh, uh, around the world and that uh, it's not always so easy uh, to travel and that we are looking after our uh, 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 civilians and, and doing our uh, doing our utmost uh, uh, also to uh, to vaccinate those around us uh, though not everybody is uh, cooperating. Ambassador, as we close um, and as we're looking at this new government, what what do you want us to know as, as we go through the next few weeks and months and in, in, in years? Well, first and foremost, as uh, happens with all new things, uh, I think the, there will be a, a trial period. I think people must see uh, uh, at how how the government reacts uh, uh, to different uh, to different uh, pressures put upon it, uh, to different focuses, uh, what what they are doing. I think the first uh, um, uh, government meeting that took place on Sunday uh, yesterday uh, might have been a very interesting. Uh, uh, pointer as to, to where, uh, where the government is taking us. Uh, there were definitely a lot of things on the agenda that were discussed and uh, a lot of things that were voted on. Uh, and I think that this is something that is very, uh, very, very important uh, to look for in, in the new government. And uh, usually there is a honeymoon period. I'm not so sure that this government is going to get that honeymoon period. Uh, but uh, uh, they are, are definitely hoping to stick it out uh, for the long run, uh, and we'll have to see. But as, as I mentioned in the very beginning, uh, it is a, a very a fragile coalition, uh, but hoping that this fragility uh, will also uh, be its strength. Ambassador Rubin, thank you so much for joining us today on State of the World. Thank you very much. That was Consul General of Israel to New England, Ambassador Marone Rubin. You can follow him on Twitter at AMB Marone Rubin. That does it for this week's episode. Don't forget to please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more and to join us for future live events, follow the World Affairs Council of Connecticut on Twitter and Instagram at CTWAC or visit our website at ctwac.org. I also want to mention the Council's annual Global Security Forum, which will be hosted this year on October 1st and 2nd. It's a can't-miss event to check out the incredible lineup of speakers. From General Charles Hooper to Admiral Michelle Howard, visit the Council's website at ctwac.org. 
Today's episode was moderated by CEO Megan Torrey, produced by me, Amanda Jolly, with support from Caroline Schaefer, edited and engineered by Khalil Rahman. Thank you for joining us for State of the World. Until next time.